Hello everybody, it's Michael Finkley with The Michael Finkley Show. And I'm Nicole with Conversations with Nicole. You can join me Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on all of my streaming platforms. Well, Nikki, don't forget about The Michael Finkley Show, Mondays, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the CTR Media Network. Join us! Make just when I feel From the season's hit movie, The Color Purple, is Fantasia. Forming Superpower. Now available on all streaming platforms. These lost lands, I kept my faith in us. No way, no days, I didn't think about you. Director Ryan Givens on the Michael Finkley Show. And if you ain't tuned in here, I don't know what you're doing. Because this boy good. <laughs> On the next Michael Finkley, founder and CEO of Threshold Entertainment, filmmaker and executive producer, Larry Kasten office with us. He talks about his new publication, A Touch of the Madness, and Community Spotlight Series, all new Finkley, Monday. Now, y'all, my next guest, he is a CEO, he's a producer, and he's an author as well. And he's going to talk about all three of these roles and how they create to the madness. I promise you, Fink Fam, he is none other than Larry Kasanoff. How are you? Good, man. How are you? I am super, super well, fantastic. Yeah, we'll go there. <laughs> that covers it all. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It does. <laughs> I, I thank you so much for just chatting with with us for a few moments. We're introduced by our great friend Larry Namer, uh, and when he right. brought you over, I'm like, yeah, I got to have him on. I got to have him on because <laughs> it, this is the, the year of 2024, and we need to tap into what we call the madness, right? The touch of the madness. So let's jump right into it, Larry. The madness. Define this for us. Well, I'm a film producer, and I noticed in my job and in other people's jobs, I think that today's generation is kind of a lost generation. And part of that is they're afraid to stand out. They're afraid to be criticized. They're afraid to take a shot. And they're afraid to be creative. And I wanted to change that. And I think that the current of the river of life will always try and pull you towards the middle. You can't do this. It's too crazy an idea. And I think when it's too crazy an idea, that's what you want. Because if you don't want to be stuck in the middle and you want to be great, you got to innovate, you got to be creative. And the best way to do that is to embrace what I call a touch of the madness, that inner crazy feeling that's saying, you can't do this. It's too nuts. Your parents will hate you. Do it. That's the one. If someone calls you crazy, that's a compliment. Take it that way. So I wrote the book and I I, I give speeches to try and encourage people to embrace their inner madness and be the most creative they can possibly be. I gotcha. I gotcha. And like you said, we need more of that in 2020, now in 2024, right? More yep. than ever before, uh, because a lot of, especially my generation, the millennials on down, it's like we, we go with what's trending, right? We go with what's most popular instead of trying to stand out in our own craft. When did you find your madness? Well, 
I was sort of lucky in the madness world in that when I was a little kid, my dad took me to the movies and he took me to a James Bond movie and I left and I said, I want to be that guy, James Bond. But what's the guy that said produced by? What does that guy do? And my father explained what a movie producer was. And I said, that's it. You know, I was like a little kid. I was like under 10. I said, I'm going to go to Hollywood and be a movie producer. And my parents were wonderfully supportive. And long story short, I did. So I, I was fortunate in that I knew from a very young age what I wanted to do. And and I, I learned... Um, when I when I really had it reaffirmed to me, I, I was very lucky and out of out of school, I got a great job at an independent film studio called Vestron. This was in the mid '80s when home video was doing great. So home video in those days was like streaming today. In other words, an industry did that didn't exist existed, and we needed a lot of movies to fulfill the shelves of the video stores. And I got a job to run production and acquisitions of this independent studio, and I had to make 80 movies a year, eight zero. So right now, if you run a studio, you make about 15 movies a year. And I was fresh out of school and and my instructions were buy them, make them, co-produce them, just don't lose money. So we made low budget horror movies and kind of action movies with B stars and rom-coms. And then we got a script called Platoon, which was not one of those movies. It was a very serious movie about the Vietnam War. And I really wanted to make it. It had a, I love the director. I thought he was great. And it had a new take on it. And I went to my boss who owned the studio and I said, I want to make this. And he said, you're crazy. This isn't what we do. So you're crazy. This is the beginning of it. And, but I really wanted to make it. So I fought and my boss said, you know what? You're the head of production. It's your decision. But you see, there's always a, but if you fail and the movie fails, you're fired. What do you want to do? And he fired people all the time. It wasn't an idle threat. So I thought, well, I didn't get in the movie business to, you know, to play it safe. So I greenlit platoon. When I first saw the movie, the first cut of the movie, I'm the only person in history to laugh his way, to giggle his way through the screening of Platoon, not because it was bad, because it was so good. I went, oh my God, I'm not getting fired. I'm not getting fired. And it was so good. It won Best Picture at the Academy Awards that year. A few months later, I ran into the director in a bar in New York one night. He bought me a drink and he said, you know, kid, I always liked you. You have a touch of the madness. And I thought, a touch of the madness? Is, is he calling me crazy? Am I crazy? And then I thought, well, my boss was crazy to give a 25-year-old kid an 80-picture film slate. Uh, Oliver, the director, was crazy to insist on making a movie about the Vietnam War in a way no one had ever done. And I had a touch of the madness by betting the best job in the world on it. And that's when it really affirmed in my life that this is what we need. We need to stand out because the audience your customers, your friends, whatever, they want the new and the different. And to do that, you have to swim against that current and you have to embrace madness. And that's been my touchstone ever since. That's how I greenlight movies. That's how I make decisions. That's how I cast people. That's what I lot to do in my personal life. I look in someone's eyes and I think, does this have a touch of the madness? Is this a little crazy? And if it is, I do it. Did you have, do you have a look back and think about that little boy that said, I want to do that when I grow up. And now umpteen years later, right here doing it. Do you ever think about, do you ever reflect on that? You know, really only when I do a podcast like this and someone asks me the question, because mostly I'm obsessed with what I want to do next. I mean, I'm very grateful, but I don't sit around and think, I think about that. And until, like I, sometimes I run into an old friend from high school and they say, you used to run around in junior high and say you're going to do this. And that's cool. But no, I'm, I'm, you know, during the pandemic, we developed movies because we couldn't make them. And so, because of the pandemic. And so we have like 20 films in various stages of development. So no, I'm constantly thinking about what I have to do next. Wow. So you, you never enjoy the moment? 
No, I do enjoy the moment. I love what I do now, but I, I, I don't reflect too much on the past. I think it's great. I'm proud of it. It's happy, but okay, what can I do now? No, so I spend a lot of my, I try and spend more time in the moment. And, and, in the moment. You know, listen, I, I you know, it, it, one of the tenets of how I suggest to people in the book, I wrote A Touch of the Madness, which just came out, I suggest how they do this. One of the three things I say is ask, 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 ask anybody, anything in pursuit of your idea. And so I started since college, I've been just calling people up at random. And I saw a long time ago, I read a book by a Zen Buddhist monk named Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a very well-known uh, monk. And I love the book. And I thought, what can I do with this peaceful Zen Buddhist monk? And I thought, maybe use him as inspiration in one of my Mortal Kombat movies, <laughs> which of course is not. <laughs> so I called him and I went to see him. It was great, but something funny happened. After two hours, I said to him, What's your secret? I feel like I've been on vacation for a week. What's your secret? And he said, no secret, practice. And I said, practice? I could learn to be this calm, you know, because I'm kind of frantic. And I, rather than using him for Mortal Kombat, he became a great teacher. I started practicing mindfulness. I did a documentary on him called, called um, Mindfulness Be Happy Now, which is on Amazon. And so ever since, yeah, I do practice mindfulness and I do try and be um, a present every day. And so what I do is not too much dwell on the past, but think, okay, what can I do right here, right now to make the movie I want to make, which I love to do. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. Yeah, and it shows. It definitely shows, especially with the credits under your belt as well. Now, for the um, Fink fam that are watching now, they may not be familiar with the credits. Could you list, you named some before, could you list a few more credits that, that you have worked with no. entirely? Sure. So as a movie producer or as a studio head i made uh dirty dancing platoon uh, terminator 2 true lies mortal kombat we make animated movies i made the first full-length lego movie called lego the feet the adventure of clutch powers i made lego star wars the empire strikes back I made an animated movie with Cher last year and i produced theme park rides so i made the amazing adventures of spider-man at universal and marvel marvel superheroes 4d at man episodes in london and and on and on and on and now um i have this book so, and so i've i've been involved in a few hundred movies one way or another and a lot of dozens of theme park rides and and many animated movies and our next animated movie is called x factor in the jungle and it's based on simon cowell's hit show and we're doing it with simon and jungle animals in in the movie jungle animals find a discarded karaoke machine and use it to start their own version of the x factor is that great? I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's a great fun. It's directed by Kirk Wise, who directed Beauty and the Beast. It's got phenomenal people in it. The woman who wrote it, John uh, Catherine Derrick, uh, has an Emmy for Batman animation. So it's a great, great, great group of people. So we that's what we do. Hey y'all, I'm artist Billy Stonecipher, and you're watching the Michael Finkley Show. Like a freak train down the fast lane we're coming on the next michael finkley butter b rockers in the building she talks new music new projects and more plus community spotlight series monday's finkley are you looking for a show full of joy comfort and laughter well watch the michael finkley show mondays 12 p.m eastern standard time on the ctr media network youtube and all podcast platforms Hello everybody, it's Finkley from the Finkley Experience. 
educational consulting firm that specializes in first-generation education. So we assist students with their college and career endeavors. We train school administrators on the state of first-generation students. And also, we partner with colleges and universities to assist their first-generation population for easy transition from high school to college. So if you're looking for a presenter or a speaker that presents on these topics and so much more, visit our website at thethinklyexperience.com and learn about all that we do. We're looking forward to working with you. I love the way that you tied your book, A Touch of Madness, Touch of the Madness, into your experiences to give us these points to try to tap into our own madness. Can we talk about these three points as well? We're gonna talk about them. So the first one is creating that idea that your audience will, that will excite your audience. Like where did that, what, what steps or factors are needed for that? Right, so the first thing you have to do is create, which sounds easy. Great, just create a fabulous idea. But there's a few, if you break it down to a few steps, it does get easier. So the first thing you have to do when you create any idea, and it's not just for the movies, is you have to understand the essence of your idea. What, what am I really doing here? So the essence of the idea, here's an example. When I first made Mortal Kombat, there had never been a hit movie made from a video game. People thought you couldn't do it. They told me, again, I was crazy and I, my career was going to be over. But my secret is I never thought I was making a movie from a video game. I thought I was making a movie from the underlying essence of what made that video game so successful. And I thought and still think it's empowerment. I mean, Mortal Kombat is a blast. It's visually exciting. The music's great. The fights are great. And that's all incredibly important. But underneath it, I believe, is a message of empowerment. And if you understand that, that's the top of the kind of intellectual property pyramid, not the video game, not the movie. And from that, you can make lots of video games and lots of movies. So if you understand the underlying essence of your idea, you, you, you can do much more with it than you might think. For example, the real essence of Starbucks coffee when it started was not coffee. There were no coffee houses in America. There was no place to go and gather and sit and hang out and you know write in your blog all day. So that probably in my mind was the essence of Starbucks. So first grab the essence of your idea. The second thing is you have to know your audience. Who is this really, 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 really for? And if you don't know what your audience is, you're going to make mistakes because like, I give a speech before every movie to the crew saying you don't work for me. You don't work for the director. You don't work for the studio. You work for the audience. So when we um, I was two minutes into the film business when we were doing uh, Dirty Dancing and Jimmy Einer, who was really the really the genius behind Dirty Dancing, was not me. And Jimmy's partner in my company today. Jimmy suggested Jennifer Grey to be in the movie. And I said, you know, with one hour of experience in the movie business, Jennifer's great, but, she, you know, maybe we need someone more glamorous and more, more exotic and more famous. And he, I said, she's an every woman. And, and Jimmy said, that's the point, you idiot, because every woman in the world will identify with her and think they can get a guy like Patrick Swayze. And I thought, okay. And, and no one in the world knows an audience better than Jimmy Einer. And so that was it. And then the final thing you have to do, once you, okay, now you know the essence of your idea and you know your audience, you have to never, ever, ever, ever give up on that idea. Because the again, that current will try and, and take you. So as an example of that, again, with Dirty Dancing, you know, Dirty Dancing was a movie that another studio had started and stopped. We bought it. It wasn't, it was in trouble. And this, as I mentioned, Jimmy Einer, who's a music legend, producing legend, came in and to, to fix it early on. And the song Time of Your Life had already been recorded, but not the way you hear it. It had been recorded as a high falsetto disco song. 
and Jimmy and, and Michael and Michael um, Lloyd, who he brought in as music supervisor, wanted to change it. So they got a, 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 as a favor because no one wanted to do it. They got a, a great singer named Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers to come in and sing it as a lower ballad. And they sent the new song to everybody, you know, the, the record company, the, the director, everybody. And they no one liked it. They said, it's no good. You got to make these changes. And they all sent Jimmy and Michael tons of changes. And Jimmy and Michael were really, really, really gracious. And they said, great, no problem. Of course, we'll make the changes. Just give us a few weeks. A few weeks later, they sent out version two. And they said, here's version two. We hope you like it. And everyone, and they said, and by the way, we sent it to some radio stations. In those days, radio stations helped you promote albums. The radio station said, we liked it. And Everyone came back and said, oh, the changes are great. Thank you so much. It's so nice that you made these changes. It's fantastic. So the question is, you know, know your audience, know your essence. What changes did Jimmy and Michael make from version one to version two that turned everyone around? And here's what they changed. Nothing. They didn't change a thing. They changed the label <laughs> to version two. They knew what they had. They doubled down. They sent it to radio stations. They told everyone. They 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 never told anyone until this book came out that they did that. They knew their story and they never, ever, ever gave up. That song won a Grammy and an Oscar that year because Jimmy and Michael never changed it. So the essence of your idea and, and the audience is great. And you can think that up. No one is challenging you at that point. But once you go out into the world, the world is going to try and wrestle that idea from you. And that's where you need the madness. You know, the madness isn't just in the idea. It's in how you stick with it and what you do to protect it and how long you'll fight for it and the zeal with which you promote it. That's what's important. And that's where that's where it's, you know, it starts to get a little, little bit. The, the, the race starts to get a little harder in that part. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I, I was reflecting on as I was um, looking at the book and I was able to read some of the book as well, uh, the madness aspect, right? The touch of the touch of the madness. And you saying this kind of reflects to, to me because sometimes, uh, no, all the time, when, especially with this show, right? Uh, you know, it's, I found my niche in entertainment with this show. And I tell you, I can just taste the success, right? It's the success of, my passion, my my beliefs that I, I know that I can do this. So I feel that I am the madness is within me as well. <laughs> Good for you. You seem to have a touch of the madness. But let me ask you a question. What what was the flint, the, the spark that caused you to create this show? When I heard no. There you I go. No. Great. Yes. When I heard no, I applied to different radio stations. I, I applied to other outlets of media and I would never hear back or not right now or no, no, we're, you know, I'm not this moment. So I decided to create my own platform. Good for you. We have a saying, no, is just the beginning. No, is just the beginning. Oh, yep. Oh, <laughs> wow. So that, that goes into the second part. Does that go into the aspect of asking to yeah. your yes, right? Yeah. Then you have to ask, 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 and keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. There's a million examples of that because the book is all fun stories to make right. these examples. This so during the pandemic, we made an animated movie called Bobbleheads, you know, big characters whose heads bobble with Universal. And we wanted Cher, the iconic, amazing Cher, to play Bobblehead Cher, to play her herself. And everyone said, it's impossible. Good luck. And so we called and asked. And long story short, Cher played Bobblehead Cher, and she was great. When the movie came out, People Magazine interviewed Cher and they said, Cher, you've never done an animated movie before. Why did you do this one? And she said, I've never done an animated movie before because no one ever asked me before. 
I did. But can you imagine if Cher, one of the most iconic women on earth or people on earth, is sitting there and no one had ever asked her, who in your life, your listener's life, right now, your, your viewer's life, who is there who they're not calling because they think, oh, everyone asked her to do it. There's no way everyone would do it. So I would ask you, but you probably do this, and I would ask your listeners, if you could call anybody who's alive in the world right now today, anybody, and ask them any question, who would you call and what would you ask? See, Let's most people say now. exactly, <laughs> you got one, sure. But see, you're in a position, to, yeah, sure, who do you got? <laughs> oh, wow. I would call, I will, I will call Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. And I will ask her, um, I just had a question. I would ask her, um, I would definitely ask her the question of, um, how did you turn, well, I would ask her the yes and no thing. Right? How would you turn? How do you turn those yes, those no's into yeses, and to get to where you are today? I feel why don't you? Very, I feel that's very enlightening. Why don't you? I don't have her number. No, the reason that, <laughs> I'm trying to put you in the spot. The, the reason we don't, and the reason most people don't know who they would call, is because we're sort of taught to believe as kids you can't do that. But yeah, you can do that. And that's the whole point of the madness. It sounds crazy. You can't call Cher. You can't call Oprah Winfrey. You can't call Obama. Yeah, you can. Maybe they don't call you back. So what? You know, today, when I, start, I started doing this in college, when there were only telephones, now there's, you know, DMs and text messages, and there's 9 million ways to reach people. So what if they don't answer you? So you can do these things. And then that's what you have to understand. So they'll say no. I mean, we're trying to get the Pope to do something. So I, I write, I've written the Pope a couple of letters and they, they, they keep saying no, but they're very polite about it, but we keep trying. And people say, you can't ask the Pope. I'm like, well, why not? So you can't. Yes. Yeah. So I would encourage anyone who's interested in, in embracing the madness, but doesn't know how to start, start with this one. Start with an ask. And maybe it's not, you know, Oprah, but maybe who, who do you just want to call? And maybe it's your cousin, Phil, who you haven't seen in a few Thanksgivings and say where you've been. It doesn't matter. Just try one thing, you know, may have it make sense. And, and once you get into that habit, it's like a muscle. It starts to get easier and easier and easier. Oh my God. Just so enlightening for me. It's like, it's so, it, to me, as you, you're, you're speaking as common sense, but as you explain it, it's like, oh my gosh, I can do these <laughs> things. I'm able of to do these can. things. Yeah. Yeah, of course you can. Oh. And then and then the third tenet of this whole thing is play. Mm -hmm. You've got to do this stuff in a state of play. In a state of play, you learn quicker, you're more creative, you're more open. Not to mention it, it's it's a great way to live your life. When was the last time whoever is listening, you said to your staff, you know what? I'm gonna take you all out for frozen yogurt now, or we're gonna go bowling, or we're gonna go fishing. I mean, but you can do these things and usually you get you get great ideas that way. When I um as I told you, when I became head of production out of school uh, at this independent film company, they had already greenlit one movie that I didn't greenlight. And it was kind of a what we would call today a low budget Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. um, although for like one millionth of the budget. And my boss had said to me and the, my staff, the development staff, who said, and I want everything in this movie. I want violence. I want sex. I want I, I want witchcraft. I, I want, and we, as a joke, someone yelled in the meeting, snakes and wizards. And everyone laughed and goes, yeah, yeah, snakes and wizards. There were no snakes and wizards in the movie, but that became like our little battle cry. And we we started, we sent people to Italy to start the movie. I was about to go over. And every time we'd talk to the producer in Italy, when we were still in New York, we'd say, and remember, 
snakes and wizards. So I get to the set in Italy, my first movie set. It seems to be going well. And the crew tells me the next day they have a surprise for me. And I'm like, well, what could that be? So the next day, you know, everyone's very excited. Right after lunch, they, we go outside and they're all around me. And I'm looking at the hills behind Rome and there's nothing there. And then I see a little spot and the spot's getting bigger and bigger. And I realize it's dust. It's a truck. And then a band starts playing. I don't know where they got a band. And everyone is getting really excited. And then the truck backs up. It's very multicolored and very painted, almost like a circus truck. And the back opens and outpours all these women with boa constrictors and Burmese pythons around their neck and all these people dressed as wizards. And they're all applauding. We got you, your snakes and wizards. Now, I forgot to tell them it was a joke. It was just our little expression. There were no snakes and wizards in the movie. And so not in a state of play, what do you do? If I got freaked out, how could you spend this money? I could the crew would have just been demoralized as hell. I didn't know what to do in a state of play, which I was because it was so fun to be in my first movie, you know, and why in, in Italy, sometimes they have wine for lunch on a, on a film set. I, I looked around at everyone and I said, you know what? Put them all in the movie. And the snakes and wizards went right into the movie and they look great. Now, to be honest, the movie's terrible. I mean, it's awful, but it made a ton of money. And the snakes and wizards were fine. In a state of play, I wouldn't have done that. I would have pissed off the crew and I would have ruined the movie. So get yourself wherever you can in a state of play. You know, I, I, I have a dog I bring to work every day. My dog goes through life thinking he's a rock star. Everyone loves him and everything's a game. It's a good way to live. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So create, ask, play, cap. There you go. There you well, What keeps you motivated within these aspects, though? Because I know sometimes in life, because life does happen, what keeps you motivated yep. to keep going? I, I am I, I am as excited, if not more excited, about waking up and telling the next and making the next movie as I was when I started. I have so many great projects and so many great movies. I, I'm just excited to make. So when I get a thought in my head, I can see the whole movie. And until I can have reality catch up with that vision, I I, I just can't stop thinking about it. So that's what that's what keeps me going. Oh man. And I, we have that in common as well, because I'm I'm that person as well that, yes, I will complete something. And I'm already thinking about the next step, of the next, how to start right. part one of that next step to get to that to the ultimate dream. What is your next biggest dream? I mean, after movies? In anything. Well, so I have a so my, I have a, a million you know, many movies I want to make, which is what I focus on the most. But um, in my other life, um, I have, I'm really passionate about getting people to embrace the madness. So I speak about it all over the world now as well. But I'm also a photographer and I love photography and I've always wanted to do something with photography. So in uh, May, I have a photography book coming out called Malibu Blonde, which is a kind of throwback to, to you know, I, I, the the days of 90s models in the beach in Malibu. And I shot the whole book and it's coming out and all the proceeds, all my proceeds from it go to uh, elephant charities, endangered elephant charities. So I get to do my passion of um, photography and help elephants. So that's my next one. That's my next non-movie dream. Your next non-movie dream. <laughs> yep. Your next non-movie dream. I love it. And all that you've accomplished and all that you've done and all that you will continue to do. Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, I am proud of myself, but I'm never proud to the extent that I could imagine stopping. There's so many more things I want to do and so many more things I, I have to do that I, I only, as I said, I only really ever think of that. 
And if I stop for a minute or, or I have a meditation coach who's a great friend and sometimes, you know, the mindfulness guys say, take a minute. All great, as I said earlier, but I'm really focused on how can I go make the next one? Because there's so many more stories to tell and there's so many more pictures to take and there's so many more speeches to give. That's what I want to do. Plus, I love, 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 love to travel. And so in doing all this, I travel all over the world. And it's great. I love it. I love it. So I have to go back to the, the point of asking until uh, asking those questions until you get a yes. And I feel I feel that it goes into the component of fundraising, because I know that with your projects, these things aren't cheap um, in that right. So we you have to ask for those different aspects to to get the movie where you need to be or your projects where you need to be what does that process look like for you and asking for those different um funds in order to for your project to be successful well of course you know asking for raising money is probably not the most fun part of being a movie producer but it's a necessary part it's just like something you got to do it's like I'm, I'm sure if you're a football player getting tackled isn't as much fun as catching a touchdown pass but you still got to do it it's part of it. And so what I try to do, first of all, I never sell anything I wouldn't buy. I mean, I've been a buyer and I've been a seller. And so I never put something I wouldn't buy. So I'm always, I always believe I'm asking someone for what is great value. If I'm asking someone for $50 million for a movie, I think it's a great movie or else I wouldn't do it. But then I really try and listen because the, the parameters in the movie business change all the time. Now, um, studios are very in interested in cast. Who's in the movie? Who's in the movie? Who's in the movie? Whereas maybe in the 70s and 80s, that wasn't as important. The concept was more important. So I try and listen and circle back. So if someone says no, I try and think, well, why not? And if they say, well, because, you know, Michael Finkley is in the movie, I say, well, let's go get him. And then I try and do that. So I just keep trying to listen and listen and listen. And I believe movies are very fluid. So I have a great writing partner, as I mentioned, Sean, Catherine, Derek. And so sometimes we'll say, oh, you know what? We, we didn't think of this. We have to rewrite the second act or we have to go get so-and-so. And I just keep trying to think out of the box in a great kind of madness way. What can we do? Can we get a piece of IP associated with this property that wasn't associated? Can we cast someone no one ever thought of? And until that no becomes a yes. I don't just blindly do it. I'm not just like a woodpecker. I try to think of the reason why and change it. That's a good approach. That's definitely a good approach. Um, some sometimes, yeah. sometimes again, when you're in the moment, you hear the no. It's like it's like a it's like a crashing car accident to you, right? And you want to give up, but in the mission of keeping your mission in the forefront in your mind, right? You want that to come to vision you know, because you never know who's going to help. Think of a professional boxer. Mm -hmm. You know, we do a lot of martial art. If you're, if you're the best boxer in the world, if you're, if you're Floyd Mayweather and you're 50 and 0, you still get hit like dozens of times in every round that you win, okay. that you win. So you got to just get used to the fight and get used to the no. And I don't like getting a no, but sometimes when I do, it, it spurs me to fight more. When I asked you, what was the thing that got you to start your show? You said, when I got a no. So sometimes that, that makes you think, what do you mean? No, this is a great idea. So you get the urge to fight more sometimes when you get a no. You know, remember anyone you're trying to sell to in, in most cases, or certainly in my business, is just as scared, if not more scared than you are, because they don't want to make a mistake either. And if you're selling, you think, I can't get anyone to buy. If you're buying, you're saying, I can't find anything to buy. I mean, people who make deals, investment bankers, they need deal flow. So they need, they, they're looking for stuff too. So people want to find that movie deal, whatever talk show 
to say yes to. You just have to figure out how to make it easier for them and realize that almost anyone you're talking to in today's world, because very corporate, has a boss. So they got to go sell up someplace else. So I always try when I pitch something to make it so short, like when I told you about the X factor, I could do it in two sentences. So if you had to go tell your boss and his boss, it wouldn't get dissipated. So again, it's, it's just a question of, of how to do it. I'm very interested now in making global movies. I talked to this great um, uh, talent agency in, uh, in South Africa today. I, I think there's so much talent from around the world and so many stories from around the world and so many people around the world who don't see our movies that I'm really, really, really fascinated by that. So as a result of getting all those new people in, you're selling something new and you have a lot more people. So let's say someone says no to you in Los Angeles. Well, go to Johannesburg, go to London, go to Tokyo. There's always a million ways around it. Think of water coming down a stream, going around walks, the rocks. There's always a way around. It's, but what you said, it's your mindset. If your mindset is positive, you'll figure out a way to go. If you let it get you, then it gets tougher. You can't let it, you, your, your mindset, your state of mind is the most important thing to attend to every day. Because in a positive state of mind, there's very little you can't do. This is good stuff. I needed this. <laughs> I needed <laughs> good. this. <laughs> good, oh, good. Come on anytime. <laughs> you know, I speak, I speak to a lot of companies not in the film business. And it's, it's very interesting because, again, people, we're just not told this. I mean, I'm at the point in my career now where if I pitch a movie and someone says, wow, that's a fantastic idea. We love it. I honestly get a little nervous. But if I pitch a movie really? and they say, oh, that's crazy. That's never going to work. What are you nuts? I feel the calm coming over me, almost like, like a morning mist embracing me on the beach as, as a touch of the madness envelops me. And I go, they think I'm crazy, huh? Good. Perfect. I have some people in my life, I won't say who, who... They're, they don't know this, but they're counter indicators to me. When I call them up and say, hey, what do you think of this idea? They're not, they're just, they're friends. They're not professional people. And they say, oh my God, you're crazy. I think, okay, if if she thinks I'm crazy, perfect, I'm doing it. So I think it's a compliment. And I think you have to, that's what I say, about, I mean, when I say embrace the madness, you have to, it's a compliment. You don't want to be what everyone else wants because you won't stand up. Exactly, exactly. You won't. Uh, and the world could use a little, a little bit of, positive good madness in it as well yes exactly. <laughs> oh larry so you have to come back especially when you when the new book comes out you got to come yeah, back you may. Talk sure. about i love to thank you thank definitely you. you're very welcome how can we follow you on social media and also purchase this amazing book touch of the madness so thank you so the book a touch of the madness is available anywhere bookstores are sold it's on amazon it's on barnes and noble it's on audible it's on apple books and I'm at either LarryKazanoff.com or at LarryKazanoff on Instagram. All right. You heard it here. Thank you, Larry, for being with us. We appreciate you. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Great job. Thank you. Big fan. Don't go away. Back in a moment. Yo, salute. This is Dr. Kendall Taylor, and I'm tapping in today on the Michael Finkley Show. for some of the best soul food right here in Mullen, South Carolina, I promise you, come on down to Garden Alley.
great salad, fabulous, or Watergate, or potato salad, or chicken is fresh, macaroni and cheese is salted to perfection. I haven't found anything that's not great. <laughs> Best one ever. Banana pudding, cakes, pies. Yeah. Selection is huge. Garden Alley is an awesome place to eat. I really love it. Come by and see the amazing staff at Garden Alley, downtown Mullins. Welcome back to the Michael Finkley Show. Now, y'all, my next guest, I tell you, this young man right beside me has grown to be a brother of mine. Three years in the making. He was like one of my first guests way back when, when I first started the show. But three years later, we're talking again on the platform, and he's going to tell us a lot of exciting things he's been up to. Of course, he is the CEO and founder of Super Self Institute. He is none other than Cornelius Mosby. Cornelius, rah! Hey, what's up, man? I'm, it's it's the it's the honor, it's the privilege to like to be in the same space as you, man. I just remember when we when we, our first conversation, and you was like starting uh, the Michael Finkley show off, and it's just watching like the growth, man. It's just like amazing, man. So I'm honored. Thank you so much for just like having me back on, man. Definitely. You are very welcome. When I said for this season, I'm like, I gotta have Cornelius on because literally we talk so often, we talk so often, we text often. We're encouraging each other back and forth. And again, you're doing still incredible things in the community, but even more so. Now I know that you're going to talk about later, but I'm just proud of you. I am proud of you. So continue. Uh, so the Fink fam that are just that just got on board, they were not here three years ago when you were first on. Can you tell us about the organization, your 501c3? Yeah, for sure. So basically, Super Self Institute, it's a social emotional learning program that helps young people tap into their superpowers. And so superpowers is considered creativity, mindfulness, self-awareness, regulation, uh, self-regulation, emotional intelligence, social intelligence. And so once they're able to tap into their superpowers, then they're able to become their super self and then they could become super leaders from there, super leaders within their communities and, and within the world. So, yeah, that's what we're doing over there. I got to remind us, why was this concept so important for you to start and realizing that students need to tap in to their superpowers? Yeah. So, OK, so when, so for me, I can take it back to when I was a kid, man. Let's um, take it back. Yeah. So when I was a shorty in the sixth grade, uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I just remember vividly sitting in the classroom with my my best friend at the time. It was like a one way best friend because I don't think he knew he was my best friend. But anyways. I was sitting next to him, and, and I just remember us always cracking up over the last night's episode of Family Guy. Peter Griffin was like our go-to comedian. And so why Brian was my best friend's name. We called him that because he was like light-skinned with like curly hair, and he had like these buck teeth, and I used to tease him. And I told him he looked like Stuart Little, but he used to tease me and told me, <laughs> he used to tease me and told me I looked like Urkel because I was like real goofy looking with like glasses. I was skinny. I was awkward. But regardless of us teasing one another, we we never judged each other. We embraced each other for who we were. And I love them to this day for that, you know? And so we shared other memories. You know, we tried out for the flag football team together. Both got cut. We tried out for the, the middle school basketball team together. Both got cut. So we, during the time, it was so sad. But, like, looking back at it, I'm glad that I was able to share those memories with him. So fast forward, life happens. I move away. I go off to high school. 
and I go to a completely different high school as him. I hadn't seen him at this point since the seventh grade, but I run into a mutual classmate of ours. And I asked him, I say, hey, man, have you seen Brian? Have you seen white Brian? And he, and he looked at me. He was just like, man, he got caught up. I said, what you mean he got caught up? He's, he's like, man, he, he joined the gang. And he, he, was, he was killed. And so even to this day, like, I, I still can't, like, 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 it's hard for me to fathom those words because he was such a sweet kid. And I always hear successful people say proximity is power. But what they don't tell you is proximity with the wrong crew is a recipe for disaster, right? And so White Brian is a representation of just about every other kid that I grew up with on the south side of Chicago. They're trying to they're trying to fit in. They're trying to like, they don't know no, they don't know better, right? So they try to fit in. And when you're trying to fit in, you're trying to be something that you're probably not, instead of like trying to belong, right? And so they they tend to navigate towards the negative side of the community opposed to the the positive side. And so when I graduated college, I felt like I had an obligation to help young people. And it, it was like a pool. I was like pulled to this type of work. And then I started working in treatment facilities, group homes, and then one thing led to the other. And then that's kind of how I started Super Self Institute from doing all those, doing all the work I, I was doing in the group homes and the treatment facilities and juvenile centers and different things like that. And I just took the tools that I had within the work that I was doing and then with my experience, and I just took it to a Super Self Institute. And, and I appreciate you telling this story because the, our why always has a purpose and it's still some stum somewhere in that realm. So thank you for sharing that story with us. Uh, what does the process look like for someone, even that's not a youth, you know, us adults as well. Where do we start in finding that superpower within us? Oh, man, I think just looking for it first, man, just figuring out. It, it's a, it depends, though. So, so like I said before, like, superpower can be, it could be mindfulness. It could be, like, something like uh, something that you're, you're really good at, right? So, hold on, let me backtrack. So, if a person is trying to figure out what their superpower is, I think searching for it's like the number. It's a it's a great start. Just like looking for it. So for me, I I think I struggled with emotional intelligence for a while. Um, I struggled in like uh, a lot of my uh, relationships, right? And so I think one of the reasons why I struggled with a lot of my relationships in the past was because of just you know, just having like abandonment issues. And I took that. So how can I put it? So that mentality that I had as far as like the victim role. And so I would like uh, use that in different relationships that I had and it would like hinder different relationships. So I got to a point where it was like, okay, so am I going to keep pushing people away? Am I going to keep hurting people? Am I going to so, end up alone? Like, um, and so it was almost like, Talking with God is almost like having a conversation with myself. And it was just like, okay, if you keep doing what you're doing, you are going to end up alone. So you have the power to build or destroy. And so I started to go on my journey of like what it means to, to control your emotions, what it means to um, self-regulate. And I just, just searching. I started reading more. And then I started to, um, I started to like really just do the work, going to therapy. And, you know, and so every everyone's journey looks different. 
you know, because we all have different superpowers. So each each one is different for 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 who you are, you know. So that's 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 my best way of describing that. Yeah. And so I feel that you have a lot of self experience as the way you just talked about it, Cornelius. What is your superpower? My superpower, I feel like, is empathy. I feel like it's being able to like read the room, is being able to empathize with other people and have compassion with others. I think that's a that's a big one for me, for sure. To being able to 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 have a conversation with someone or come across a youth that's going through things. I know that he's really I can really feel what he's going what he's going through. And it's it it helps me build that rapport with them to to better to best serve them. And so yeah, I see I say empathy is one of my my strongest superpowers for sure. Empathy and compassion. Definitely. I slip up from some time to time, you know. Um Don't you know, if I in the in the past, you know, I've I slipped up, you know, I'm not always on point. You know, let's say if I, you know, if I'm you know, I'm having a a, a rough day, you know, and and someone is uh, is struggling and Sometimes I'm not able to be as fully present, you know, but that's definitely something. It's a journey that I've been like working on, you know, throughout the years and things like that. So, yeah. I got you. I got you. And it's yeah. a daily journey for all of us. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so glad that you're, you're tapping in to that side of you, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what age you are, well, man, what stage you are in life. I definitely, when we tap in, we tap in and we learn and we grow from those things. For sure. Um, you when we met three years ago you were on roll and ever since then you still been on roll what have you been up to since the last time we talked oh man since the last time we talked shoot what i'm trying to think three years ago that's about three years ago right yes, three four years ago three, three years ago yeah okay so i mean man i done i probably finished another book by then um i know right now i could tell i could tell you what i'm doing right now right now right now i um I just finished a new curriculum uh, for Super Self Institute, and I uh, I'm finishing up an app um, to help uh, to to track the progress of each student that we sign up, and their parents and their teachers are also going to be able to track their progress. And you know, there's like different games and different mindfulness techniques and different meditation techniques and different things like that. I'm working on that. I'm also working on a training that will help the the schools implement this curriculum in this app within their school so i feel really excited i feel so excited about this and so and since then i've also been partnered with uh multiple schools throughout the chicagoland area throughout indiana uh so many different speaking engagements shoot it's so it's so much today man i i have to like write it down but yeah man it's it's been a lot it's been definitely a lot that's been happening since the last time we talk, but I'm 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 extremely humble and just like extremely grateful for for the journey, you know, all together. So yeah. Got to keep on going because you're making a difference. You're definitely making a difference. How many books do you have on your belt now? Because I know that when we first started talking three years ago, you you had a lot. And I think that you have you more. Yeah, no, I uh I wrote nine books. Nine books nine. physically, nine physical books and one audio book. Yeah, nine physical. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, man, it's uh, it's my it's it's something that I really enjoy doing, man. Uh, just writing and being able to impact the youth in the uh, in, in different ways, not just you know the speaking aspect. Because 
what I, I realized when, when students are able to, so th these books are fictional stories, right? So courage is your superpower and kindness is your superpower. They're all like fictional stories. And so I created that in a way so that the students can take whatever information that I'm giving them, but have fun while they're receiving it and being able to relate to the characters that's written in the book and taking them on a journey. So if we're talking about courage and we're talking about self-awareness and we're talking about kindness and we're talking about empathy and they're able to say, okay, oh, I like this and I'm, and I'm going to use this for my life, you know? And so when I was writing those books, that's the mind, that's the mind state I had. So I really, I, every, every one of those books is so, it's so special to me. I, I really enjoyed writing them and, and I'm, I'm going to continue to write them and, yeah, it's been awesome, man. You you got some books under your belt too, man. I see you over there killing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're just here to make a difference, just like you. Just here yeah. to make a difference, trying to get the message across of our different platforms. How can the Fink fam once more follow you on social media? How can we even book you for different sessions for students within various school districts and colleges alike? Yeah, just go to superselfinstitute.org. Uh, you can check me out there. You can go on Instagram, superselfinstitute. Uh, Facebook, same thing. Instagram, all social media is superselfinstitute. So if you want to check me out, just email me or inbox, uh, DM me. Either, either one is fine. Either one is right. fine. All right. You heard it here, Fing Fam. Now, you got to come back. It's not going to be three years, but you got to come back <laughs> sooner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sooner. And like I Push said, up. just keep doing what you're doing because you are making a difference. Please I appreciate you, man. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Big fan of the boy. It's all right. Hey, family. It's gospel artist Marcus Jordan, and you're watching The Michael Finkley Show. On the next Michael Finkley, Butter B. Rocka's in the building. She talks new music, new projects, and more. Plus, Community Spotlight Series, Monday's Finkley.